0: and we're back. A very, very good morning to you. I'm Howard Feldman. This is the Sunday Synthesis Podcast. We haven't uh, broadcast to you for some weeks. It is absolutely awesome to be back. Thank you for all the messages. Thank you for reaching out to us with... your inquiries about the status of the podcast, as well as the status of COVID. As always, Dr. Anton meiberg uh, pulmonologist, physician, and COVID expert, or COVID non-expert, as he likes to think, is joining us. And we're going to try and get in a bit of an overview, because it has been some time since we've spoken to you, about where we are. Are we in the midst of a second surge? Are we uh, past a, a, another surge? How does it look? Where are we with the vaccines? What about anxiety? antibody testing. What, what is the status uh, the latest research with regard to quarantine? Dr. Anton Meiber, good morning. Welcome back. How are you? Good
1: morning. It's good to be back. It's been a long time coming.
0: So mm-hmm.
1: we're currently sitting on 42,956,776 cases worldwide with 1,154,995 deaths and about 31 million cases resolved. The United States has 8.87 million cases with 230,000 deaths. And South Africa, has 714,246 cases with 18,944 deaths. There was 1,834 reported cases in the last 24 hours. And at present in Ghaateng hospitals, there are 2,239 COVID cases with 118 ICU and 87 ventilated. The plateau seems to be about 16 to 1,800 cases a day over the last seven-day rolling period, and if we look at the numbers over the 700,000 period, the first 700,000 cases came about over 110 days, the fourth 100,000 came about over eight days, and the last 100,000 have come about over 56 days. Western Cape is currently under the spotlight, people are disregarding the rules. There's spreading in clusters, there's super-spreading events, and there's been a noted 42% increase in the number of cases in the Western Cape.
0: All right. So w- w- what does all this mean? Lots of numbers. I'm, no- I'm not good with numbers. So just tell me what this actually means.
1: I think what it means is that we still are in our first wave of this virus. We are not in a second wave. We are going to see upsurges, in other words, increased number of cases. But until the amount of cases are lower than about 4 500 cases a day we are still in that first wave of the virus. Once the numbers decrease dramatically and there's hardly any cases a day and then if we get a resurgence that would be classified as a second wave or a second surge of the virus.
0: Is it possible to avoid a second surge? Has any country avoided
1: it? No country has avoided a second surge. It is possible but it takes a sort of a community to act together and it's not a community it's a country. Everyone's got to follow the rules, but people are lax and people are dropping the ball and governments are dropping the ball and communities are dropping the ball. So if we go according to international guidelines and what we're seeing overseas, it's highly unlikely that we're going to be able to avoid a second wave or a second surge.
0: Can you predict when you think it'll happen?
1: It's, it's difficult to say, but the predictions are, are basically anytime from January to, to, to February. And the reason for that is that there's going to be a lot of international travel coming to this country in the December times. And what the government have done is they've relaxed the quarantine laws for international travelers coming from overseas. So they've put in a mechanism that if you test negative within 72 hours of you arriving here, then you don't have to quarantine. And that's going to be where the problem starts for us, because yes, it will boost the economy and yes, it will boost international travel. But what happens if you get the virus when you're on the plane? What happens if you're exposed to the virus when you're in the airport? Then ideally, you should be quarantining for 14 days, but you're not going to be quarantining. And then we're going to be getting a second strain of virus or a different type of virus that is coming from overseas and is going to reinfect us in different ways. So that's very worrying.
0: Isn't the answer to the whole problem rapid testing? Surely if, if, if we could uh, get immediate answers as to whether people are COVID positive or not, when they're getting on the plane then, and every, everybody's tested, surely that'll help.
1: No, it won't help because it's the same reason as having the 72-hour test. And the test doesn't, even if you're exposed within one hour of somebody, you don't become positive automatically. It's got an incubation period. It takes about two to five days for that virus to actually culture in your body. And then it can incubate up to 14 days. So a rapid test gives you an answer for there and then, but it doesn't tell you what's happening in the right. next two to 14 but days. But it'll protect
0: everybody on the plane. So in other words, if everybody's had rapid testing and they know that they're negative, then everybody That's on that plane. Because
1: if someone is exposed in the airport, and they yes, basically. but they
0: can't spread it. They can't spread it immediately. Do we know can that? They?
1: Do we know that? That's the point. I mean, you're don't the know you're hey? the expert, hey? You,
0: no, you know everything. That's it. why we're talking to you.
1: We don't know enough about this virus to say that you can't spread it. And, and, and that's the right. reality and that's the point. And that's why you've got to have all your mechanisms in place. That's why you've got to social distance. That's why you've still got to wear masks. That's why you've got to do all these non pharmaceutical interventions in order to try to prevent it from spreading further. Yes, we know that planes have got good filters on them. And they ideally should be okay, but what happens if they're not? And and we can't live in fear our whole lives, but we've got to be protective, and we've got to be able to say that we are not going to spread this virus further, because we want to get back to the reality of life. You know, it's been nice at the moment, because people are starting to get back into some sort of normality with some of the rules and some of the norms being followed.
0: Are you saying, though, in terms of your prediction, January, February, are you saying that you know, we've all got this magical thing in our mind, and I think it is magical thinking. Um, I'm busy writing an article on it that, that we've demonized 2020. We seem to think that the minute 2020 ends and 2021 begins, all of this is now over because that was so last year. Maybe we've got to start coming to terms with the fact that 2021 might be start off a little bit difficult.
1: That's very similar to the Y2K. You know, everyone thought the world was going Mm. to end and the virus and the bugs were all going to destroy the computers at the touch of midnight. And and that never happened. But, you know, there are going to be problems. This is going to go far into 2021. Until we get this vaccine, which we're waiting to find out, it's still going to be problematic. And there's still going to be waves and there's still going to be surges. And we've still got to carry on realizing that, it's, it's the same as when people all go to for the holidays now. It's as you cross the border, it doesn't mean there's no corona. You know, so as you cross the border or the the time change or the calendar for 2021, it's not gonna mysteriously just evaporate. There ain't no unicorns on 2021, January the 1st just yet.
0: All right. Well, if you could just work on that, that would, that would be very... It, it reminds me of, I think it was the First World War, where they spoke about the boys coming home by Christmas. They'll be home by Christmas. They're just going to go and sort this whole thing out. Uh, but, uh, you know, four and a half years later, they, uh, they finally came home broken. and uh, Just
1: giving away your age if it reminds of the First World War.
0: That's rude. You know, we, we we are able to read these things. Wow, wow. Um, okay. The the what's obviously vital um, around all of this is the vaccine. We haven't spoken to you for a number of weeks. I've assumed I'm assuming now you've sorted that out and we're almost ready to go with vaccines.
1: So according to Dr. Anthony Fauci, we are almost ready to go with the vaccine. There's about five to six vaccines that are in phase three trials As we discussed before. That's the Oxford, the AstraZeneca trial, Mm -hmm. the Moderna, the US trial, the Pfizer, the United States trial. There's a few from China, the Sinovac trial, and the Johnson and Johnson trial. So there's a number of, of, of vaccines that are ready to go. Dr. Fauci is optimistic that there'll be one available mid to end of November. I'm not sure if that's over optimistic, but once again, if the virus is available, at the end of November, it doesn't mean we're going to be developing herd immunity on the but 1st if of December. The,
0: if, the, if the vaccine, not the virus.
1: Vaccine. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. not going to develop herd immunity right, on right. the 1st of December. It's still a whole process of rolling out the vaccine. And the whole point of Operation Warp Speed, where the United States is producing millions of these vaccines and pouring billions of dollars into it, is that the United States will be covered first. So it will be the the upper sort of societal people that will be covered. And it won't be the third world countries that get the vaccine first. And it's gonna be a whole rollout over a number of months for different countries to get the vaccine. And it will be a process. It will be healthcare workers that will get it first. It will be those who are extremely exposed, elderly people, those with immune compromise. And it will be a chain of actually processing and getting the, the vaccine to people.
0: Do you have any insight into the various vaccines? Because I think a comment that you made some weeks ago is that you're going to want to look at it and say, or each country is going to be looking at it and saying, well, which is the most appropriate for our population? Is that information available yet?
1: It's not available yet. And that's a very important point because it's the same way as that certain doctors have got a different affinity for different flu vaccines. Some like the the Sanofi one, for instance, others like the other ones, you know, the, there's a vaccine group, there's this one. And you realize what strain the virus is against, and you've seen how it acts on your patients and what type of protection they get. And that's gonna come with time. When you see the virus uh, has been treated with a vaccine and you see how people react to it, then you'll be able to have an affinity for which vaccine works best. But as I say, we don't know yet which vaccine we're going to be getting here, but the trials being done here are, are favoring the Oxford AstraZeneca, which is the United Kingdom vaccine. So it would most probably be that vaccine that would come here first.
0: I found it so bizarre. There was an article about so the first person having died on the trial for the Oxford, uh, the, the Oxford AstraZeneca um, vaccine. And then it turned out well, that that person was given a placebo. So uh, I imagine it was completely irrelevant then to the trial.
1: And, and that's why the trials continue if someone gets sick they stop the trial they do some retrospective analysis of what's going on to see if there's a problem the same with the johnson johnson trial someone was reported to have had a, a stroke or someone was reported to have something and what they do is they go back they look at the data were there any risk factors were there any reason for it is it related to the vaccine and they take it forward from there
0: what are we seeing in terms of uh, um, infections people being reinfected are we seeing that here in south africa at all
1: we haven't seen it yet, but it's a very difficult thing to work out because just like they do overseas, for instance, in, in Hong Kong, for the person who got infected by having traveled to Spain. Three months prior to that, he had a virus which was genetically up kept and sort of amplified and checked by the laboratory to see what strain of virus it was. Three months later, having traveled back from Spain, back to Hong Kong, he got sick again. And the same laboratory took the swab that he had and they looked at the genetic sequence of the virus to see that it was a different strain of virus. To see, that it had actually been reinfected again. So it's not rare; it does happen, and it can happen, and it will happen continuously. But it's not overt at the moment.
0: So, are we still? Is is antibody testing still the most um, accurate way to determine if somebody's susceptible or not to being reinfected?
1: No, no. A- and and the point is that at this stage, and this will change within a few months, there's no doubt about it, but at this stage where we're sitting now, in South Africa, the antibodies are not testing what we call the neutralizing antibodies. And a neutralizing antibody is something that destroys the virus. In other words, it kills off the virus. What this antibody test in South Africa is testing for at the moment is, are you positive or are you negative? Do you have RGG antibodies to coronavirus once again? We don't know if it's one of the overshoot coronaviruses that causes the normal flu, or is it the actual virus? It checks for a spark protein or the M protein on the actual virus itself and not for these neutralizing antibodies. So we can't with definitive answers say that you are definitely immune if you have the antibody. Also, we don't know what actually effect is if you have a severe infection when you get a higher antibody titer, or if you've got a mild infection, do you get antibodies? We do know that 30% of people who do get infected do not develop antibodies to the virus. So we've still got a lot to learn and that's why we've got to be so cautious because we don't know is if you are actually immune per se. And even if you are immune, can you therefore transfer the virus to other people who aren't immune even though you yourself are immune, because as I say, we need to know about the neutralizing antibodies. Mm. If you have got neutralizing antibodies, it's a different story completely. And if you've been a week or two having had the virus and you've got antibodies, we can maybe say you are protected, but we don't want to take the chance.
0: And we don't know for how long either.
1: No. And and, and there's studies all over the world saying it could go for anywhere from four to, to 12 weeks. But... When we look at you know the influenza viruses and we look at the other coronaviruses, those immunity levels aren't up for very long after having the vaccine. So we've got to try and modulate or we've got to try and postulate that it would be very much the same for this type of virus.
0: Mm. We're about six or seven months into the virus being in, uh, having arrived in South Africa. We've got a lot of cases uh, that, uh, be- that have been resolved. What are you seeing in terms of residue, long-term Impact long term effects because uh, I am hearing stories of, of, of all sorts of things that people are dealing with months and months after they've recovered from or meant to have recovered from the virus,
1: right? And that's 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 the new buzzword at the moment in covid 19 is post covid syndrome, okay? Because what we're seeing is I've a never of- heard that,
0: that's a buzzword, and I didn't even know about it. Yeah. Post covid syndrome,
1: you've been out the loop, you know, you've been one. <laughs> so, so, basically, what we're seeing is post-COVID, people
0: PC, are... PC, P, PCS, as we like to call it, those of us in the know.
1: 100%, I like that. So, with PCS, which is premium right. and other things, but um, <laughs> you develop fatigue. There are still people complaining of shortness of breath. There are still people complaining of headaches. We're seeing a lot of changes in the lungs, which we call fibrosis or scar tissue in the lungs, We get what we call a boop-like picture, which is an organizing type of pneumonia, Mm. which is not treated with antibiotics, which should possibly be treated by corticosteroids. So we are seeing a a lot of changes. And one of the biggest problems we're seeing is the mental depression, anxiety-related issues from getting COVID, the fear and the paranoia related to it as well.
0: Right. So it it actually does have, it does really have a, a... Res, res, residual effect or impact on people.
1: Definitely, definitely.
0: A lot of people are asking me about planning December holidays. We are already at the end of uh, October. It's almost November. Uh, it's very late. South Africans like to start worrying about December in August. So uh, what's your advice? But no one's really known what they could be doing, should be doing. What's your advice?
1: But my advice is take it day by day. I think we've got to look at the global picture and see what's going on in the world. And we've also got to see what's happening on the international scale. And if we look internationally, the CDC in America has now considered someone who's a close contact, not someone who's been with somebody for 15 minutes who's in affected contact in a continuous amount of time, but over a 24 hour period. If you were over 24 hours in enough spaces with, to make up 15 or 10 to 15 minutes with an infected person, you are considered a close contact, despite them being symptomatic or asymptomatic. So that's changed things and that changes the whole evolution of the holiday. Okay? You can't be around people all the time without wearing masks. But can we go on holiday? The answer is definitely yes. We have to go on holiday. It is incumbent upon us to go on holiday because we need, we need a break. Everyone needs a break. The whole country needs a break, but you've got to do it Carefully, you've got to do it strictly. And once again, you've got to realise when you cross the border, there's no such thing as we've crossed the border and there's no more corona. And, and that's very important. You know, you've got to got to keep up with your um, non-pharmaceutical interventions. You've got to wear your mask. And there's actually a very important um, diagram which I'd like you to post on the on the screen. It's called the Swiss cheese respiratory virus defence diagram. And this is very important. This was a a diagram put up by Ian McKay, which is based on the Swiss cheese model of accidental causation. And from this model, we can see that we accept that there are gonna be flaws in humanity and with everyone and technical problems, but with these preventative measures. Now, if you take a piece of Swiss cheese, it's got holes in it. If you take a number of layers of Swiss cheese and you put them next to each other, and that includes hand washing, hand sanitization, social distancing, wearing masks, these non-pharmaceutical interventions are the way to stop these other problems being a threat. And that's how we can maintain and keep a December holiday going. I think we also got to remember important thing is we are worried about the December travel from overseas travelers, but Mm -hmm. we do want to go into 2021 and be able to send our kids back to school and be able to go back to work. We don't want lockdowns. Lockdowns don't work for us at this point from an economic and social point of view. But we have to have to understand that it is extremely important to follow these rules and take it forward from there
0: so, so for example if you go to to a, on a beach holiday if you're sitting under your umbrella with your family um, and there's and you are relatively uh, far away or a couple of meters away from somebody else do you have to wear a mask if you if you go for a swim in the sea and the sea is crowded oh, do you have to swim with a mask
1: Okay, so first thing, you definitely don't have to swim with a mask because you'll drown. Yeah, because that
0: sounds like waterboarding to me. Yeah,
1: unless you take a snorkel and you take something, but that's a bit over the top. No. So oh, that's, that's a very, very good point. You can go onto the beach without a mask under your umbrella, but you've got to be social distanced. You know, it doesn't help if everyone's on top of each other, right next to the because then, then there's no social distance, even though you're outside. Because, once again, people are interactive people. So you're going to have people they are going to walk up to you without a mask. You're sitting under your umbrella. They cough on you. It's about people respecting you and respecting your space, which is gonna be very difficult in a December holiday Everybody. on the beach. I'm
0: thinking you're sitting under an umbrella reading a book. You might to a, a different
1: space. beach to go to, or you might have to yeah. you know, be very strict, or while you're on the beach, lying there, put a mask on, you know, it's not easy, you know, it's not fun, but you've got to do what you've got to do. Once you're in the water, it's a different story. But once again, you can't congregate with people and jump on top of people in the water. You've got to be very careful and still allow yourself to have a holiday.
0: Yeah, you know, it is a very, very real challenge. A lot of people also asking about uh, um, elderly grandparents, people coming to visit, um, spending time with family, your, your view on that currently?
1: So, yes, we are in level one lockdown. And yes, we are more strict than we were. But there's ways to do it at this point in time. If you sit outside, if you're socially distance, if you're all wearing masks, you can do it. As long as you're not hugging and kissing each other and falling all over each other. And as long as you've got good ventilation with your masks on, it's definitely something that can be done. There's no doubt about it with one family at a time, do it responsibly and do it carefully.
0: All right. Yeah. Because quite a few, I'm just looking at, and what about, uh, what about playdates and uh, sleepovers?
1: Well, sleepovers are a no, no, there's no doubt about that. Okay. Play dates can be done if they're done responsibly with parents watching the children all the time. That's the only way to do it. And I'm talking about younger children, because younger children, you can't say what they're going to do. You know, you need to make sure they wear their mask, but they're going to want to play with each other or sit next to each other sit on top of each other. As long as the parents are there watching them and try and promote it to be done outside, it can be done, but in small groups, obviously. Mm.
0: Mm. Uh, Linda asks a very good question. She says, I'm still sanitizing my groceries. Is it still necessary? Do we have any new data on how long the virus survives on various surfaces?
1: Look, there's no new data towards that. We do know that it's a, a spore type of spread on surfaces. It's a fomite spread, which has been up and down. People agree and disagree. I personally don't sanitize my, my groceries when they come home. Um, but mm-hmm. wash your hands. Wash your hands. Keep on washing your hands. We know there's no major spread in food but obviously the parcels around food can spread it, so just be more careful. If it makes you feel better, I'm not saying it's wrong to sanitize it, but I don't think it's 100% necessary at this point.
0: Right. Yeah. Me- Melody says, I'm 64 with lots of comorbidities, but I'm not bald, which, which is you know, obviously important. Uh, I volunteered to do the Johnson & Johnson vaccine trial. What's your opinion? Because my friends are horrified.
1: Look, there's special and specific criteria for someone to go into a trial. And you're vetted according to your age, you're vetted according to your comorbidities and any other problems. So they won't accept you into the trial unless they deem you as being safe to be going into the trial.
0: Okay. So, so, so they're not going to accept you if you, no. you know. The specific criteria form. that you have to fulfill. Right. I got it. Um, Shelley says, can Anton give us an idea of what the R value is now? And just remind us what the R-value is. Yeah, so the
1: R-value is the reproductive number. It's a way of rating the coronavirus or any other disease's ability to spread. It's the number of people that are infected from one person that passes on the virus. We want the R-number to be less than one. In other words, it's the same with measles. The R-number, for example, is 15. So one person will infect 15 people. At going to press, about the 19th of October, the R-number was 1.04. So it's still above one. At one stage, it was below one, but now we're still above one, so we still are spreading the virus.
0: How are we doing in terms of treatment <coughs> Excuse me, and, and uh, um, recovery rates, death rates here in South Africa? Um, are you using remdesivir as a, um, as a drug successfully? Give us a, a, a view, an overview on tr- current treatments.
1: So I think it's important to me discuss the death rate first before we discuss the treatment. And, sure. and You'll notice that some days there's eight deaths, and other days there's 140 deaths. And that's changed since the beginning of October, because the government have asked us to track the excess deaths. In other words, not only the deaths that happened in hospital, but Home Affairs is now being contacted to see how many people died from COVID on their their death certificates. And that's being added to the daily thing. So there's a backlog of deaths, and it's not 100% consistent of the actual deaths happening each day, but the backlog coming from the deaths. With regards to Remdesivir, there was a new trial called the Solidarity trial that, that showed that it might not be as effective as we thought it is. In other words, we still don't have a definitive treatment for this virus. We are using Remdesivir. We're using it a lot earlier than we used to in what we call the viral phase. It's the beginning phase uh, before the cytokines actually explode and you get to that pneumonic phase. So we're using it as an in-hospital drug. It's an uh, intravenous drug and we're using it with certain comorbidities and different people. Is it helping? Maybe, probably. Um, Do we know for definite? No, we don't know for definite. But it's added to our arsenal of medications. We've got um, corticosteroids, we've got anticoagulation, we've got remdesivir, we've got other drugs like toclizumab, which we mentioned many times before. We still are using all these drugs. We still are seeing that there's definitely a change in the mortality rate that we're seeing in the hospital for the good. Okay. If we compare ourselves to the beginning of March when we didn't have toclizumab, we didn't have remdesivir. We didn't have other protocols. There's definitely been a major shift in the outcomes of patients, and we're seeing a better prognosis for patients. But once again, there's no magic bullet as of yet. Mm. We we're desperate for the vaccine to come out.
0: Right, and uh, and the number of people on ventilators—that you're obviously trying to avoid at all costs at this we point. We try to avoid that at all costs. You know, there's
1: many talks of, of this being a different type of virus. We know it's a severe virus that does affect the lungs. Lots of people are talking about a gel-like substance in the lungs that you can't ventilate people. Some people are having success with ventilation, but the overall majority and the overall feeling is to avoid ventilating people because it's a different virus. You know, in a normal hospital setting, if someone comes to you with an oxygen saturation of 75%, your first knee-jerk response is to put them on a ventilator with this COVID-19, we get the happy hypoxics. So people who are actually comfortable sitting there with a saturation of 75%. And it's a it's a paradigm shift to our nursing staff to try and explain to them that we don't have to put people immediately onto a ventilator. You've got to take all the parameters and try and work on it a different way to try and not ventilate them at that stage.
0: Uh, th- there's been a lot of uh, talk, certainly in the, in the circles that uh, that i'm in around the time period for quarantine i know at some stage when the hospitals were under pressure people were uh, medical staff was being asked to come back after let's say seven days then we heard nine or ten days then there's a the figure of 14 days can you just give us an overview if you've had direct exposure to a person with that is COVID positive what is the protocol
1: okay so there's two protocols There's the NRCD protocol, which is for the masses. Okay, in other words, to understand what's going on. But there's a different reality to what we believe and we believe we should be going by international standards. So the NRCD protocol states that the quarantine then is 10 days. And that's been done in order to make it easier because if someone has had COVID-19 and they're positive with it, then they need to isolate for 10 days. In order to make it easier for the population to understand, the NRCD and government have made it 10 days for that and 10 days for for quarantine for someone who's exposed. But the reality is the upper limit of the incubation is up to 14 days. It is far better and far more pragmatic for someone to isolate and quarantine themselves for 14 days if they've been exposed to the virus, and it's very important because that's a better way to protect everybody, including yourself. We do know that the virus can come about at a later stage, and that's why day 10 to 14 is still as important, and we are advocating that people stay the 14 days, not the 10 days. That's international guidelines. It's not just something that's been made up by by some of the doctors in South Africa. It's an international guideline by the CDC, by the European countries, by all over the world, and that's something which we need to follow.
0: There's, a, there's also pushback uh, around this sort of thing. People saying that, uh, uh, not necessarily you, but but people that, that, that are, are asking for these stringent measures to uh, be put in place are catastrophists, that, that uh, uh, messages of, of, of doom and gloom, fear-mongerers. Uh, can, can you respond to that?
1: So. I think that's a very important thing because there's pandemic fatigue at the moment. There's complacency. People are looking for scapegoats. You know, It's your fault that the economy is down. It's your fault that we're getting sick and you just promoting doom and gloom because you want everyone just to not be able to co-socialize and you don't want this virus to spread. And if you're going to say that scientific knowledge and scientific basis is called catastrophizing and that it's doom and gloom, then you're on the wrong page then you're not following the rules. You know. Then you don't understand what science is about and what all these studies are about. It is scientifically ratified and verified from the highest levels of people who are studying these things all the time, of academics, of people who understand what it means to take 10 days to 14 days, of people who understand how the virus grows and how it spreads. So if you want to call somebody a catastrophizer, it means you're doing something wrong because you're obviously guilty about something else And you don't want to take the heed and the warnings that are being directed to other people. I don't want the whole of South Africa to be in quarantine. I don't want my whole family to be in quarantine, isolated. I do want everyone to be safe. I do want people not to spread the virus. Mm. I'm not doom and gloom. We've got a reality here. We need to treat this and, and live with this reality. And we need to prevent it from spreading so we can actually maintain some sort of normalcy.
0: Overall, how do you think South Africans are doing?
1: Yeah, it's a difficult one to say. And as we say, the the rolling seven day average is about sixteen to eighteen hundred cases a day over over a seven day period. Um, I think what's very important is, once again, as we say, we're in pandemic fatigue. I think we're like day two hundred and eleven or day hundred twelve, somewhere around there of lockdown. That's a long time, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. but we're now in the summer. Part of our season. So people are going outside more, people are happier, people are able to sort of associate with other people more. So overall, I think we're doing okay. But when I hear stories of people going to different provinces and then disregarding the rules, then we're not doing well. Then we, we're disregarding the facts for our own selfish needs to say that, you know what, we need a holiday, bugger everybody else, don't worry about it. And uh, when we come back, we'll reinstitute the laws. Mm-hmm. So overall, I think we're doing well, and and, and I think that's that, that's the good news of the story. Is that I was going to you know, say now, you you you've
0: got to give us good news.
1: Yeah, life is definitely more regular. It's much better than it was. People are interacting, albeit they need to keep their social distancing. A vaccine has been uh, put out there. There's a number of vaccines that are being done, and we're hopefully expecting one towards the end of November. We definitely can delay the second surge from developing. It's in our hands. And, and of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say how much better news you have if, if you didn't see that Liverpool won again last night I and mean, let's have a Chelsea donut. Let's do something, you know? It's fantastic news. Right. And, and I want to end off by quoting and saying, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. It's in our hands. We can do it. We can take it forward. We've just got to be consistent. We've just got to be unselfish. We've just got to look after each other. We've just got to follow the rules and we can avoid certain ramifications of other surges.
0: Dr. Anton Marburg, thank you as always. I'm Howard Feldman. This has been your Sunday Synthesis Podcast where I chat to a COVID expert or non-expert because he says nobody really is, Dr. Anton Marburg. We'll be back with you next Sunday. Send us your questions and we will try as much as we can to answer them. Have a great day and be safe.